Welcome to Brighter Stories, the podcast about eliminating poverty and empowering people by giving them the tools they need to build independent lives that they love. I'm your host, Jason Henson. In this series, we'll tackle a variety of topics such as trauma-informed care, outreach, paternalism, and more. We'll also hear testimonies from graduates of the Restoration Program, Victory Mission's long-term discipleship program that transforms lives through a holistic approach. I hope this podcast will challenge and encourage you and will start your own discussions about how you can help your neighbors write a brighter story for their lives. He wrote the book on it, like literally. How do you help somebody come from hopelessness, helplessness, discouragement, and poverty? How do you help them? Mark McNally sat down with me. He's the Director of Restoration here at Victory Mission, and he shares all the tips in his book. He shares all the tricks and principles from his over 10 years of helping people, first in a church environment and now in a nonprofit. You can take these concepts, you can take these ideas, and you can frame them in your space and find out a way to help people restore their lives because you won't always be there. Let's get in with Mark and see what he has to say. So here we are sitting down with Mark McNally. You're the Director of Restoration uh, at Victory Mission and you get to, well, you tell us. What, do you, what are you going to do on a daily basis? I get to direct those? restoration ministry, which means I have a team of chaplains that I used to do what they do now uh, right. when you first hired me, but I get to lead a team of chaplains that are walking men and women through a long-term process toward living a restored life. Yeah, so what is long-term? What, when we think about long-term, what's long-term to you? 12 to 18 months, but we're taking a look at um, how for some 18 months might not really be the enough. right number. Right, it might not be enough. and. We do holistic restoration, so we're addressing the spiritual, relational, practical, financial, and vocational areas of their life. And so one or two of those five areas might be in such extreme disarray, you know, and, and, and so much deficit there that it takes longer than 18 months. And we've seen that on a few occasions. And so we're open to walking with people a little bit longer in, in time, but minimum for us would be one year yeah. of their life. And wh why did you come up with one year? What was the one year mark? Because um, I know there's some statistics out there. About the statistics for long-term um, restorative programming go up significantly at 12 months, uh, but it also was informed by, I came out of a denomination in a ministry that just felt like there was something about the four seasons oh. and going through a year of life you know, there are certain things like seasonal depressions and, and issues that people face in different uh, seasons and uh, birthdays of deceased ones and stuff that just comes up that if you only journey with somebody for a short period of time that you may not necessarily see. That's really insightful. Yeah. And all the things that, that anybody could apply to their life. So they could say, well, I helped this person right. for how long? 30 days. They're great. Yeah. You know, 90 days, their friend, I mean, anybody can do. But I didn't find out that that trauma or that mental health struggle doesn't manifest but once every nine months. Right. 
And so, right. right. Yeah, every winter I crawl in my bed for three weeks and I can't move and I lose all my jobs. Well, right. that, that's something you might want to know. Right. Yeah. And you don't find that the seasonal aspects of life and how people are impacted and triggered by those things. You don't find those out unless you journey I with like them. That. And that was, I may not have ever told you that before, but no. that was, came out of the denominational thread that I came from. Yeah. And then our holistic, you, you pick those out, spiritual, relational, personal, vocational, and financial. Right. So let's, like, let's kind of break those, let's break those down because I think those are things that somebody would be like, wait, I thought we were just helping people get off drugs or I thought we were helping them get out of alcohol. So what, why, where did all that come from? Where did these, yeah. this holistic approach, where did that all come from? That came from, I was on staff at a church, uh-huh. you know, so I have a heart not just for the nonprofit world impacting people in extreme poverty, but also churches, you know, if the spirit of Christ is there, they want to help people in poverty and Absolutely. Um, who are broke financially and broken relationally. And what I started to see working in, we call it outreach ministry there, what I started to see was you would have people get out of jail and prison, you would have them get out of a detox service, you would have them leave a codependent relationship, or you would see them get into some voc- you know, skill or trade or vocational training or something. And they would have this you know, success or they would you know, cross this bridge of accomplishment in their life, but areas of their life that were still deeply broken would go unaddressed. Mm-hmm. And so in the addiction world or extreme poverty or um, people coming out of incarceration or criminal thinking or, you know, there's a lot of different factors. Um, what you would see is, the best example I could think of is uh, if they don't understand the importance of healthy romantic relationships, mm. then they would get out of jail and prison and get off drugs and get a job. But as long as they're still entering romantic relationships with in, in a codependent kind of a way, then the emotions would get high, sometimes violence would even enter, and drug drug use would be reintroduced, and then the job would be lost, and then they haven't paid rent, then they get evicted, and then they're on this, and so all the dominoes start falling. Yeah, because if if you're not both healthy, moving in the same positive direction, one of them will derail the other. Absolutely. Without question. And it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. his and hers and all that other stuff, and if you don't like absolute language, like every, at least 98, 99 right. out of 100 cases that I've seen, and I've seen in over a decade, uh, I've watched thousands of men and women come out of jail and prison and detox and um, start working in recovery, you know, right. starting to get back on their feet, re-enter society, however you want to describe it. And yeah, if they aren't having an approach to restore their life that is holistic, then they're more vulnerable. Sure. Um, another area would be financial management. Yeah. You know, so they're they're staying sober, they're working a job, but they can't manage their finances. Yeah. And before they know it, maybe they fall into a gambling addiction. I don't know. Maybe it's getting blown on. Yep. Who knows what? Or they just don't manage it well, and then they miss a rent payment or two, and then they're evicted, and then they're stressed out, and yep. they're couch surfing again. And so what comes next? And, and they end up at a couch with somebody mm-hmm. who has alcohol in the fridge and next thing you know, they're drunk again on the court. Yeah, it's, it's all, of those, all of those things that you almost have to shore up the fence. It's like, uh, you know, if you let, uh, you got a garden, mm-hmm. you know, 
and mm. you don't have a, all the fence lines and the rabbit is coming in and out and they're going to eat all your... doesn't matter how much you secure, yeah. secure the other areas of the fence line. You got a hole. Yes, <laughs> like, that's, the, right. that's where the rabbit's coming that's in. That's right. That's a great there's metaphor. A, there's, a, there's a hole in the bucket, dear right. Liza. Yeah, I, th I think that's really powerful. And that's something I never even thought of. Mm. And I, you know, I confess that as mm. coming and looking. And, and I think we, we can look at somebody on a corner and we can think, oh, the system failed them. Mm -hmm. Uh, that I thought there was uh, safety net programs. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't they be on welfare? Shouldn't they be on this? Right. Or you could even say, well, shame on them. They should have a job, mm -hmm. right? You can, you can, wherever you are, you can have these these preconceived notions. But all of those are sort of like, yeah, and it's kind of the same thing with recovery ministry. There's an yeah. element of truth to that, but it's yeah. I tell people it's a lot, it's just more complicated than that. Yeah, it's so complicated. Yeah. And, and unless you're willing to get out of your car and be ready for the next two hours of your life mm -hmm. to be drastically changed, to hear the story, and then to realize like, hey, I may not even be able to, maybe I can't, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And that's probably why they're still sitting on the corner because they don't know where to start. That's what keeps most Christians, I think, and most churches paralyzed or at least not fully engaging people in extreme poverty is because they don't know where to start. Right. Because yeah. they've been asked or and or they have tried giving, you know, the family paying for their electric bill or buying the guy a bus pass that, you know, has a job across town and, and they've tried that kind of meet the next need. Yes. The immediate surface level need and then not see long-term change and and so rightfully without going into the right holistic approach, I could see how they would just assume, well, this does, this is not working. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Because you would, hey, I gave a sandwich, you were hungry. I thought that was the barrier, but mm -hmm. it's not the barrier. Yeah, I was learning the hard way, uh, you know, before I started really getting into the recovery ministry. I was stopping for the guy on the street corner and I was, you know, getting people in the church to donate money to get the guy a bike or buy him a suit for an interview, you know, or get him into a... And was that ever really the story, though? Do you know? I mean, like, when that guy... Like, I, I got a text from a pastor, like, just the other day. And he's like, this guy needs... He needs shelter. He's homeless. And he needs an... But he doesn't have an ID. So in my, the first place I went was maybe he just wants your 12 bucks because he can give a tangible $12 for an ID and he's got three other churches he's going to hit. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have an ID, but they figure, but like, what have you seen with that? Because you've given the bikes away and you've given the suits. Was that really the story or was there always more to that? Or what do you think? Usually it's not the whole story, mm -hmm. but even when it is, it's leaving that area of the fence where the yeah. rabbit can get in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's even if that is yeah. a legitimate need and, and there is an element of the, the suit for the next job interview or the bus pass, it's, or paying the electric, uh, paying the utility bill for the family that's struggling. But the problem is, as long as the underlying cycles are going unaddressed, mm -hmm. then it's, to not hopefully this isn't insensitive, but it's like the whack-a-mole game. Yeah. Have you ever played the whack-a-mole yes. game? Where it's whack, 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 whack. Yeah. I mean, the next one's 
it'll pop up. Popping back up. Yeah. Some manifestation of extreme poverty and brokenness is, is going to pop up again. And so Unless you enter into a messy, accountable relationship. So let's talk about that. So this, uh, you even wrote, you wrote the book, yeah. Change for the Poor. Yeah, right? Change for the Poor. It's available on Amazon. And, Love it. Uh, it's on audio, Audible now and oh. on iTunes for Apple. Did you read your own book? No, oh. I had it narrated. Oh, yeah. I was hoping I could hear your lovely voice the whole time. Well, they tell people who write books like this, practitioner books, to do their own narration, but I chose not to because it was part of the package oh, that the cool. publisher gave me and Perfect. saved me a lot of time. There you go. <laughs> you don't have to reread it. So let's talk about that because all of that is in there. there mm -hmm. You can you can unpack the. Yeah. Spiritual, personal, relational, vocational, and mm -hmm. financial, financial yeah. That's all pieces. unpacked in the book, the yeah, five but, holistic areas. But give us kind of some overviews of like, what are the key, beyond that, like, because you could look at all that and say, okay, I got that. But what are you needed, you know, to jump into that messiness? What, right. do, what are you doing with your restoration team right. and what things are happening on a daily basis that y'all are doing? Well, what we do with, and I love the name of, the program here is called restoration. But in the book, I talk about restorative processes. Right. And these are just general principles that individuals, churches, and nonprofits can employ when they see themselves, you know, ministering to and wanting to be a part of transforming someone's life in extreme poverty. And so the book is applicable. It's contextual, really, for anybody that wants to better understand how to help somebody who mm -hmm. finds themselves in, I use the term over and over, extreme poverty. And what I mean by that is this isn't a person who's just found themselves situationally, right. you know, a couple of bad circumstances. Right. This is generational. This is cyclical. And um, You just didn't lose your job and you got to find another one. And so, right. oh, man, I got 30 days. It's going right. to be rough. You know, just have some financial troubles because of a medical issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is deeper than right. that. It's trauma, abuse, neglect, generational poverty, addiction, mental health. It's just codependency and all that stuff. Is, it's the complexity of the issues. It gets really complex. Yeah. Yeah, because it's hard to tell where one <laughs> has ended and the other is beginning right. when you're watching their life, you yeah. know, behaviorally anyway. And so um, in the book, I talk about the um, processes and the practices that are restorative for somebody. The three overarching principles uh, would be relationship, and, and that is the reason why most government and churches uh, shy away from really doing deep restorative ministry because it's just messy. Yeah. <laughs> you hard. really just have to get into a relationship so with this person. you have to like get to know that person? You have to get to know them. If they don't come through, yeah. you have to ask them to leave? Yes. Well, that's the third <laughs> principle. Oh, okay. I jumped the gun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So relational. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. Relational. You have yeah, to relational is mm -hmm. spending enough time with them to hear not just what they're saying, but what they're not saying. Oh, yeah. And actually kind of discern what, okay, well, what are the primary relationships in your life? You know, you can only find that out over time. And one of the women that we helped back at the church I used to work for, she, in her own, like, approach, she was moving toward wanting to live a restored life, but she, her, the father of her two children was wanting to play video games and drink beer all day and live off of, I think, some fixed income. I'm not sure if he had any income. And then his parents, it was a generational thing, so they ended up in the apartment. And this mom is working as a 
um, as a manager at McDonald's and having wow. to take the bus while her kid's dad and parents are at the apartment all day. And so our heart went out to her and we found a way to get a car donated to her. This is in one of the chapters of the book. It was a formational moment for me. Wow. And, and we just, we took the, you know, we had the photo op, you know, church, family in church gives yeah. a free card to the mom struggling. Right, right, right. Uh, beautiful. And um, about, I'd say a month later, she's pushing the kids in the stroller back to the outreach service. We did a Sunday night outreach service. And I was like, where's the car? Well, I had to sell it to pay the utility bills. Ah. Yeah. Is that really what that family's car was, what they would want for their donation? Yeah. To have an, an underlying cause for the poverty and not just financial poverty of that family went unaddressed. Right. And the utility right. bill got paid with a donated car and I suppose some would celebrate that. I looked at it and I was heartbroken. Yeah. Because, and it was formational for me because I understood you know, before just giving this person a car, I probably needed to develop a relationship to try to find out, okay, well, what are the layers underneath why you can't afford a car with four people living in an apartment? Mm. You know, able-bodied adults living in one apartment. There should be enough money here right. for the rent and utilities and a car. Even, I mean, at least a beater. Yeah. And, but I didn't. I didn't ask those questions. We didn't engage in that level of a relationship. And... And so the, the principle of restoration is the first one in, is relationship. Yeah. You just have to get to know them. And we have a residential program here. I don't think it has to be a, a residential program. I mean, if you want because to you help somebody. Because you applied these things at the church you came from. Mm -hmm. So a church could easily say, totally. we want to get to know mm -hmm. you on Wednesday night. We're mm -hmm. going to have a group on Wednesday night, we're going to have a group on mm -hmm. Sunday night after church or after mm -hmm. every every Sunday after church, we're going to meet and we get to know you in that space. And, and that's so what we tried there since we didn't have the residential. Yeah. Um, as we know here, when you have residential, you have a lot more of their attention. Absolutely. <laughs> and a little bit more, you know, accountability. But, but yeah, at the church, we created spaces for them to be there more often because they're having to leave certain people, places, and things, they call it. They have to change those. So we created more spaces for them to be there so that they could enter into relationship mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, and invite them into getting involved in the life of the church, into serving, not just having an immediate need met, but serving so that they can help meet the needs of the body of Christ. And, and we provided counseling, we provided mentoring, we provided classes, and we just we created a whole... Um, structure around them. I've spoken to churches in the past few months since releasing this book and just talked about some of these restorative principles and in the context that you don't have to have a residential program right. for this. You just enter into enough relationship with them. You provide resources. You provide classes. You provide counseling. You provide mentoring. You give them opportunities to, you know, serve and use their gifting and their passions and it's really not that complicated. Right. You just have to, you really have to get in the trenches. Yeah. And get in relationship and get messy. And So what's after relationship? Once uh, you get to know people. Well, this was what really kind of shocked me because I came out of a couple of decades of addiction that wrecked my life, blew up two marriages and uh -huh. lost my business and all that to my addiction. 
but I didn't grow up in generational poverty. And so mm. um, I grew up in a, you know, just pretty solid, hardworking American household. Yeah. Both of my parents worked and we were instilled with, you know, a work ethic and discipline. We did our homework and that kind of stuff. Um, what I started to learn even before coming here was that people that are coming um, into adulthood chronologically <laughs> from generational poverty mm -hmm. or addiction um, have a highly unstructured life. Yeah. They, they don't really know how to utilize the resource of time. Yeah. And so the second is structure. You really, even while we were at the church, again, we didn't have residential, but we had a, we had like a program where we structured their week out. This is where we want you to be on this day. This is yeah. where we want you to go here. This is what we want you to do. This is where you're serving. This, this is, is where what you're, you're doing. This is when this we is... need you there. And right. Yeah. And so the second is the thing that I had to learn the hard way was how most people in extreme poverty need structure. And that needs to be instilled in them to where, you know, a lot of people who grew up in a middle class kind of context just because receive they, that. Yeah, they had structure sure. because mom or dad or dad or mom or whoever's in your house, they would go to work on Monday. Mm -hmm. They you'd typically be done on Friday, maybe some overtime on Saturday, go to church on Sunday. There was a rhythm mm -hmm. to their life. Rhythm of life, right. But when you're in, you know, I remember one of our... Uh, pantry individuals she realized every day's a crisis mm -hmm. like if you're in poverty mm -hmm. every day's a crisis yeah. survival straight because survival yeah you're hey the bills could go out like mm -hmm. the utilities could turn off today mm -hmm. you know the water may not work hey, you're getting the, shut off notices yeah all the time you you right. somebody could be knocking on your door there mm -hmm. could be a violent intruder mm -hmm. you know there could be somebody coming for money or you're hearing that happening in the same yeah. apartment complex that's least, right because yeah because you sure. you can't afford to live in an environment where maybe your neighborhood is right. safe or, and the kids are growing up in that right so they're just they're just recreating that's that generational cycle that you've been sharing about like we see that over and mm -hmm. over and over and so that when a child grows up in that type of an environment their concept of rhythms you called it a rhythm of rhythm. life is just not there yeah it's chaos. It is. My mom might not be <laughs> home the rest of the night because she's high. Right. What do we do? I don't know. Play video games or watch TV? Or, yeah. Right. Or if the electric's off, then you just like, you all go to yeah. sleep or you stay up long enough because you're on high alert because you're freaked out. You don't know if the doors are locked or whatever. Wow. That's that. But that's the trauma that we have to be aware is also happening mm -hmm. to individuals coming out of that. So. You're giving them relationships, you get to know them, then you're providing, providing the structure, structure they never had. Right. And I've heard that from so many of our individuals coming out of our programs, and we, we do a lot of video testimonies and things, and that's what they say, I needed structure. Mm -hmm. They always talk about the structure. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, it really is huge. And there is, there's almost, they, very have, they have very little downtime. They do. And, and a put that in the book people look at our phase one program schedule pretty much sun up to sundown requirements and programming and they're like wow is that necessary yes <laughs> very necessary yeah and that's where you know if a person listening to this is an individual and they have a family member they're trying to minister to or yeah. they're on a church benevolence or outreach team I get that you won't have that type of 
you know, <laughs> access to someone's schedule and enforcement of someone's schedule, but to the degree you can provide structure for them is... Well, it goes back to even your family life, right? If you have a family, um, you know, your kids have a rhythm. Mm -hmm. You know, they go to school at this time, mm -hmm. they come home at this time, there's typically a dinner, mm -hmm. something where we're feeding, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, there's a rhythm in that, whatever that looks like. And homes where there aren't parents at home mm -hmm. or they're working two jobs, the kids don't have any of those mm -hmm. structure. Right. And so if this is an individual, if there is an individual listening and they're putting somebody up in their house, maybe it's a family member or they just really want to help, um, I would say that provide structure for that person. Yep. And if they're not willing to walk through the and structure, they don't want And if they're not willing they don't want to get up by 7.30, they're not willing to be at the dinner table by right. 5, or whatever your, whatever your family's rhythm of life yes. is, they're not willing to engage that, then that kind of tells you how much they're ready right. for it at that time. Yeah. And they could be more ready later. They could be. Sure. Yeah. All we can do is meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. and, and what a restorative process does is it restores the life of somebody who's ready for that at that time. Well, and I, what I, what coming to mind right now as you say that is the, the humility piece, mm -hmm. the, the awareness, self-awareness to realize, yeah, I, I can't do it. Right. And I, and I think that's the difference. I think, I think, so we kind of started talking about somebody on the corner. I think that's, when I think of homeless, and I think the majority of people think, oh, if someone is ho experiencing homelessness, they're, they got a cardboard sign and they're on the corner by the local gas station or Walgreens or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but even that, those people a lot of times, if you talk to them, and you know, you and I pro both have maybe had that mm -hmm. conversation. Oh, we, many. many you know, and, but they're not ready mm -mm. because they're, they're actually like, hey, I got this because mm -hmm. I'm holding a sign. And, and I've shared with churches, and I know you have two of different people that ask, like, what should we do? Like, find the person who's not holding a sign, because that's the one that may be ready, because the person holding a sign's figured something out. Yeah. They they're a, getting a need now. They're working a program. They're working, a pro <laughs> <laughs> they're working their own program. They it's are. called yeah. Sharpie and Cardboard. It is. Yeah. So how do we help when we get into this relationship, the structure, and then the last part is what is yeah the last principle is accountability yeah and I find that to be even in my own I've been doing this over a decade and it's the it's the hardest of the three for me anyway and that is holding somebody accountable to the choices that they make because especially in Christian ministries nonprofits or churches or people they feel like it's an unchristian thing to do to right. remove somebody from the restorative process, right. or it's not a Christian thing to do to ask somebody to leave your home, or, or why um, didn't you give me five dollars? I thought you were a Christian, right? I thought exactly, and so you have you're going to have to get if you're going to embrace this restorative process anyway, <laughs> you're going to have to become comfortable with the fact that no, I'm actually not helping this person if I continue to bail them out mm -hmm. of the consequences for the choices that they're making, and, and so like even in that. And you've seen it. Mm -hmm. Well, there was one story I remember. There was somebody that had a, like a significant uh, amount they owed the court mm -hmm. somewhere. And I remember you kind of sharing me that story. 
Well, what was it? I can't remember all the context of that, but it was like $800 somebody owed. Mm-hmm. And that was really what was keeping them in the program because mm-hmm. they were going to solve that problem on their own. Mm-hmm. And then what happened though? They talked somebody into the church they were going to into paying the fine off and the day after they bolted the program. Yeah. yeah. Because for the first time, one, mm-hmm. they were willing to be accountable for mm-hmm. that Well, until it was no longer a thing to be accountable to. Right. And that's why we uh, don't, like to give men and women in our restorative process too many things for free. Yeah. We, we want to, even if it's a little skin in the game, we want to see them um, walk out. We don't want somebody to come in and pay $500 worth of fines off. We want right. to set a smart goal. We want to look at their budget. We want to say, okay, if you do $15 a month, this is how many months it'll take to pay that off because what's that doing? Yeah. That's teaching them delayed gratification. It's teaching them budgeting. It's teaching them how paying back debt works. It's teaching them a lot about restored living. And um, just swooping in, you know, that is been a huge problem with not just church, but the government and how it addresses poverty. Right. Um, you really don't solve. You actually do worse than not solving. You created the, dependency. You've actually created dependency. Yeah. And you've formed and shaped an entire mindset that believes that, that it's entitled to that. Yeah. yeah, why don't I have a 70-inch TV right. on my wall? Yep. Because everybody else does. Well, maybe they worked for it or or they saved and that mm-hmm. was the Christmas present to the whole family. Nobody else got any Christmas. You know, you don't know the context. So it even, um, we were doing the Christmas gifts for the men and women in the program and yeah. a lot of churches do the, the, yes. the Christmas gifts. Absolutely. Right? And so we created a system pretty early on where it was like, if, if you want Christmas gifts for your kids, we do have donors that provide that, um, but we want to see you put additional volunteer hours That's in right. at the warehouse, at least. We want to see you do some volunteering. Right. Because we want to, here's what that does. Whenever somebody pays their fine back versus somebody swooping in and covering it, that creates dignity. It creates yeah. self-worth. Yes. It creates an, just an reinforcement that I can do this, right? It builds hope. It builds purpose. It builds all of these things that when, and again, I don't mean to indict the church or our government or individuals, but when we continue to bail people out and provide things for them that they can provide for themselves, we are not empowering them. We are not restoring them. We're not. We're not honoring their ability to do it on their own. We're not. Yeah. That's good. Now, this is all under the umbrella of people who can do it on their own. Sure. There is certainly a space from whether you argue government or of taking care of the widows and orphans, right? right? And people who just simply cannot care for this. And we've seen that there's, there's some great uh, other ministries, nonprofits, even in our, in our community that, you know, they're like, if you have a fixed income and you're on some type of disability, Mm -hmm. they've got a path for, you know, getting you in a home, getting you in a community, Mm -hmm. but they're still creating the relationships. Mm There's still structure mm-hmm. in how they get in the homes. Right. And there's still accountability where if you're smoking in their homes that they're allowing you to live in, they will kick you out mm-hmm. because you're running that for the next person. That is, so when you look at the assisted living and the communal uh, fixed income type of uh, environment models, mm-hmm. um, they do. They have pretty yep. much all three of these exactly. restorative principles. Yeah, because and, we're... And they work. They do. <laughs> and we've seen... And you've seen that... 
You've seen that in a church environment. Mm -hmm. You've seen that now in a nonprofit environment. You've seen mm -hmm. it in a residential environment. And we're also seeing it in some other ways in, in kind of the outreach. You know, mm -hmm. we've, got to, we've got to build that relationship first. Mm -hmm. Then as we get to know them, sure. we, can, we can provide the right resource and avenue where, right. okay, I got to know you more. You're probably not ready for a restoration. I remember talking to a guy on the phone that called from, from a jail jail cell, you know, and, and he just, he's telling me how amazing he is, you know? And I remember thinking, um, you're not ready for restoration. Your program seems to be working for yeah, you. Yeah, you're, you're doing great. But, but again, aren't you calling me from, you're in a state prison. Like I just, you know, like that self-awareness isn't there. Yeah. He, he's not humble enough to realize, hey, I'll give you my playbook because my playbook it's like, in fact, I'll just tear out my playbook because right. it's terrible. Yeah, um, we, the people that are primed for, a, you know, getting help out of extreme poverty, uh, some of the famous sayings are, um, my best thinking got me here. Yeah. And I didn't come into this on a winning streak. And right. So right. That, those, those embody that kind of mindset that, you know what, if I could have figured this out, I probably would have. Right. Yeah. And it's not <laughs> that they're, it's not that they're incapable. They are unaware. Like yeah. I... Um, I like Hosea 4, 6, right? People perish for lack, lack of, of knowledge. knowledge right. And I think that's it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a beautiful picture because once you're aware of it, then if you don't do it, that's on you, mm -hmm. right? I now know how to budget. I know a vocational plan. I know how to have great personal relationships. I know how to deal with myself personally and, mm -hmm. and with the court. And I know a God who loves me and has a plan for it. If I know all that and then I still don't make a wreck of my life, well, that's on me. Right. But if I don't know how to do it. But I it, was giving the tools, I was giving yes. the resources, I was giving the education, I was taught these things. And so most of the people who find themselves in extreme poverty are lacking something Absolutely. in that group. And even it, the guy. It wasn't taught, it yeah. wasn't modeled, they didn't have resources sure. to implement, all that stuff. Yeah. And even our men and women that come in on a daily basis once once they've sort of arrived, and uh, a, a friend that of yours, Mark McDonald, talks about once they get what they came for, yeah. they'll leave. Right. So what, what, what does that mean when somebody says, once I get what I came for? Well, we're pursuing holistic restoration, and we promote that churches and individuals, and then I wrote in the book that we should promote holistic restoration, mm -hmm. lifelong change. Um, but some will come to a person, a church or organization, and they just want to get back on their feet. Right. Like, don't speak into my romantic relationships. I'll date who I want. Yeah. Don't tell me to not spend this much money on my little iPhone. hidden addiction. Right. Because I don't, I don't want that. Everybody just, needs the new iPhone. Not, I'm, no complaints to the iPhone users or anything. But, like but it, you but, know, they've got these right. three or four little areas of their life, and they're not going to be touched. And sure. they just, hey, help me get and keep a job. I just want to get back on my feet. Yeah. And, and that'll work for a season, maybe. Maybe 10 years. Maybe, you know, some people have got enough willpower or maybe luck <laughs> to have it work for a decade yeah. or two, sure. But what, yeah. what, what, we would, what we would promote, what we would propose maybe is though, is that really walking in total victory? Yeah. Or are you just not as, are you not 
experiencing as destructive of consequences as you were before. <laughs> and, it, and it's true. That is right? true, for sure. You're better than you were, and we can celebrate that win, mm -hmm. but man, we want, we want you to go all the way. Oh, all the way. Why would you stop? Right. You have no idea what the next six months could do. Mm -hmm. And that's usually what you've seen, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Three months, there's kind of those windows, like 90 days sober, first time ever. Mm -hmm. Man, I can conquer the world. Six months, they've got a job now. Mm -hmm. They're doing better. They've got money in the bank. And yeah. so now all of a sudden. It's the three to five month window, a four to six month window really, is kind of the I'm on top of the world. Thanks for everything you did for me. Yeah. I got this. Love you. Yeah. I gotta go. And so we have a class we do. It's a chaplain check-in normally, but where we do a uh, how restored are you really? Yeah. And it's gonna be um, it's gonna be a whole class that we're gonna build out probably. But we look at all five of the holistic areas. And if somebody, you know, this again applies to individuals and churches. But if you've only walked with somebody for four, five months, and granted they feel like they're on top of the world, they haven't been this sober in years, they haven't caught any new charges. But how much money do they have in savings? Can they actually rent their own place, or do they still have to shack up with somebody else? Right. Ask yourself these kind of questions. How long have you sustained this reunification with your child? Two months? Well, you've done that before. Right. And so just start, you feel, we in that stage, and, and I would counsel all organizations and individuals, don't try to tell that person in that four to six month window that they don't feel what they're feeling. Right. They do feel phenomenal. Absolutely. Like they can't even imagine the life they're living yeah. right now. Their parents are amazed. Their brothers and Everybody sisters are happy. Is they're going celebrating to all the yeah. life change, mm -hmm. and they're plugged into a church. They have healthy relationships, and all. So you don't want to necessarily like rain on their total parade, <laughs> but there does need to be a sobering moment to say, "Hey, you're not really ready to do this all on your own yet." Right. You're not ready to like so sail let's walk, off. So let's the... just walk through a little practical with that. So like, let's just pick one like, um, like, like financial, mm -hmm. right? Like some of our, our our men and women, we got they'll they'll have they'll be making minimum wage or just over minimum wage, and they'll probably have more money than they've ever had. You mm -hmm. know, they'll have two hundred fifty dollars. And we're requiring them to save five hundred. Most of them right. have never saved money. That's right. There's there's these increments. So mm -hmm. if they if they earn five hundred dollars. In a month, or a thousand is probably easier because the math's gonna be easier for my head. But thousand dollars in a month, then they're gonna. We ask them to tithe ten percent. Mm -hmm. uh, Program they, fees twenty percent. Twenty percent. They save thirty percent. So they have to save three hundred dollars. Yeah. So they've got three hundred dollars in savings. Yeah. Yeah. So three hundred dollars a month and they can. Four hundred they the have in their pocket. They keep in their pocket. And they got four hundred dollars to spend on whatever they, they could go buy some new shoes. They can. Well, anything over. And I definitely rec. This is the accountability principle. Yep, come on. So for them, anything over $100 at that stage in the process, they have to get chaplain approval for that. So throughout all this process, as you keep digging in, the relationship stays strong. Yes. The structure stays strong. Yeah. And the accountability is The structure actually, as they go through our process anyway, yeah. the structure actually lessens. You yeah. let up. Well, we let up the accountability of the structure and we hand off more of the you know, self, um, right. yeah. Teaching, self, self-governance, self-governance of them their schedule and yeah. right. So all of a sudden they've got money. So if you're, how restored are you really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Question mark. 
Financial. Okay, great. You've got uh, $500 in the bank. $500 in the bank. You've got a car. You're going to work. Not yet. They don't have a car. I mean, less than one out of 10 is going to have a car. Okay, so you're riding the, the bus. Right. So again, back to how restored are you really? You're right. riding a bus. Exactly. Right. You know, you, you're, you start to really understand, mm -hmm. ah. And then, so it, that how restored are you really is a reminder moment, basically, mm -hmm. where do you remember when you came in here, the kind of life yeah. that you said that you wanted? Yeah. And it was more than that. This is great. And this is the part of the season that you were going to hit, and you hit it, and praise God for it. Yeah, but, and you're doing great, but you're not done. But there's more. Don't think... You're not ready to go out and do this in the way that, that you came here to, to do it. That's really powerful. And we want that one of the things we say all the time, it applies to family and child reunification directly, but um, when we restrict things and we um, require things to happen at different phases, they can often think that, you know, we're withholding things from them. And so one of the things whenever you're ministering to somebody who's a grown person, and that was one of those things in the structure principle that was hard for me. Like, aren't these grown like, men? Sounds like we're treating grown-ups yeah. like they're teenagers. Yeah. When it comes to a lot of developmental areas of life, sure. They are. Yeah, because they didn't have knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody guided them right. to how to budget. And or, so when it comes to money. Would you give your teenager the credit card with no limits and say, hey, just bring it back three days later? Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> right? That'd be a trade. So you don't do that with somebody coming out of extreme poverty who never had any understanding of budgeting and savings. And you've got $500 yeah. in savings. That's not even enough to get your own place. Yeah. So where that, are you going to move That may to? be a down payment, but not yeah. in this market anymore. And, and you don't have... So not only your own place, but you don't have transportation yet. Yep. You still have these fines and restitutions. You still have uh, child support in arrears, which sometimes that's so far out that you don't get totally. You still have SATOP fees to get your license back. Like This is good that you found yourself in this stage, yep. but there is we require $2,000 in savings before we'll bless somebody as a graduate of the program. And, and that, uh, that would lead the next question uh, on benchmarks. Mm -hmm. Talk about the benchmarks yeah. that you've put in place because mm -hmm. along with the, the, definitely the structure and the accountability are in those benchmarks. Mm -hmm. You have, uh, just walk those through, six-week well, benchmarks you, and all that. You saw them stuff. on the whiteboard, I think, didn't you? Two weeks ago, you saw we were doing a benchmark review. Yeah. And, um, a little preview of the benchmarks is in the book, but... In those five holistic areas, we have very specific things that we measure and track through the process. And that's at the six week, 12 week, 18, 24 week marks as they go through the first two phases. And then it shifts to every three months, we do a benchmark check-in. And what we're doing is like making sure we're not taking their word for it. Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah. No, we, we're gonna L sit down. Let me see your bank account. Let me actually see your bank account records. Let me see if you fulfilled your budget. Let me see if you got your credit score back. You mailed that off, right? And then they, ha in their personal and relational areas, they have smart goals like getting back into their kid's life. Okay, well, you said you were gonna uh, contact your child twice a week. Let's let's see how yeah. you did that. Yeah, so by email, and message, sort of prove, phone. yeah, prove that you're doing accountability. That. Yeah, sure. And yeah. As, if we're honest, whether you're in extreme poverty or not, you benefit from accountability. Absolutely. Everyone thrives when they place themselves in environments of voluntary accountability.
Which is very biblical. Extremely biblical. Submit yourselves <laughs> yeah. to one another. Yeah. Right? Confess Out of reverence your sin. for Christ. I mean, Confess like, your sins to one another. All those things. And, yep. and that's saying, hey, I'm not above anybody, mm-hmm. and I'm willing, I'm willing to live a transparent life. And we, mm-hmm. we talk about that with men and women in this program, but really any, anybody could benefit from that. Like, to be an open book means mm-hmm. you never have to figure out who you told what story to. Right. Because you're consistent. Yep. And it's, again, having that sort of just clear conscience is, is really foreign to people coming out of addiction and generational poverty and incarceration. Um, so you have to be, that's why it needs to be 12 to 18, if not 18 to 24 yeah. month process, because that takes time to reverse that mindset of thinking that you need to hold on to that information or you need to keep that secret or you need to, you can take care of that without help. You know, it takes a long time to see the benefits of allowing people into your life. Yeah. Well, cause you can end up being like one of our guys. I remember somebody sharing in a video testimony. He just kept saying, I'll worry about that tomorrow. I'll worry about that tomorrow. And eight year, eight years later. Yeah. Eight years later, yeah. and and when he showed up to work, oh yeah, you know, and we there's been, I just like the amount of people that walk through, and that we build relationships with, we hold them in a structure mm-hmm. and accountability, and they're grateful, and a lot of times they're like, "Yep, yeah, I'm good." It's mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? Maybe mm-hmm. that's a great question for yeah. for somebody who said who says, "Hey, I'm I got this person. I met him at church. Mm-hmm. I've been helping him." You know, I'm I'm not giving them money. Yeah. I'm not giving them rides. Right. I'm just oh, trying to text right. and be encouraging. Um, but I don't know where they are now. Right. And they went. They you know they ghosted me and they fell off face of the earth and I'm worried about them. What what? How do you deal with that? Mm. How would you counsel somebody with that? Yeah. How would I counsel somebody? Yeah. Um. Well, if their contacting you takes you up and down on the roller coaster. You might have to deal with what I refer to in the book as caregiver codependency. Oh, wow. Um, as people helping those in need and in crisis, um, we can't need them to need us. Mm. We have to be full and complete in who we already are right. and our calling and our purpose as believers who we are in Christ so that when that person ghosts us, we're okay. Yeah. When that person uses our help to enter into a program, we're okay. Yep. When that person leaves a program, we're okay. When that person, that kind of goes to the accountability principle and the relational principles. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think what I've learned in the past three to four years, been doing this for over a decade, is just the, the subtle toxicity of going up and down with the person that I'm serving. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. doing well, I'm on top of the world, can you believe this? And and then when they do bad, being just crushed and, oh, how could they? I mean, I would tell that person that, you know, care, obviously. Jesus looked out over the crowds and had compassion on them. Right. But people's choices never crushed Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was never, like, altered from his course based on whether, yeah. whether people stayed or whether they right. left, right? That's really good, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good biblical interpretation. Yes. Yeah. And so as people who are ministering to people in crisis and in need, We've got to really do a heart check about whether our 
service of them as healthy for on our end. And so I would say, and, and Henry Cloud and John Townsend did amazing work in their boundaries books. But Absolutely, that's would, a great resource. It's a great resource. If you're getting into this work, Toxic Charity by Bob Lupton, When Helping Hurts by Corbett and Fickert, um, Boundaries, Change for the Poor. Sure. <laughs> but all of these books are going to give you really guidelines and principles for how to help people but not create dependency right. on you. In both ways. In both They're ways. dependent on you and right. you're dependent on and them. you're dependent on them. Man, that, that's a powerful statement because I think that's one thing that, well, I wouldn't do that because, you know, I'm, I'm just, they just need me. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> Is that, that's hard. I mean, I think we've, we've had staff members. I had a volunteer that I was having a conversation with one time uh, and he was sharing a story of somebody mm-hmm. he was talking with. And he was kind of trying to coach them because they were going, you know, and helping and doing this. And he said, but are you really helping them? Mm-hmm. And you share a story, I think, in your book about mm-hmm. that, right? About, and it was like, but, but I want, but it, yeah. it, it's, it's meaningful the, to me. It helps me. It was the lady outside the Walmart neighborhood right. market. And she was talking to a, a homeless man. And I walked up and just kind of entered the conversation because I'm sort of bold like that. And... She and I was listening, and he was transient. So I told him about the shelter. Sure. And he said, "Well, no, my wife's around the corner, and we're just kind of moving through town." And, okay. Um, and then she gave him a nice crisp twenty-dollar bill. Yeah. So I walked. We both walked into the neighborhood market, and I said, "Ma'am, I I work at the local, you know, shelter, and just wanted to let you know that giving somebody cash in a situation like that may not be as may not be helpful." And she said. I will never forget this. How dare you rob me of my blessing? Yeah. Hmm. So that $20 wasn't about him at all. Mm-mm. That $20 was about you. And that is obviously a very That's a drastic, a dramatic, sure. drastic sure. example. Yeah. But how in more subtle ways do people give because of how it makes yeah. them feel? Or telling the story at your... Mm-hmm. Right. Small group to Bible study. Yeah. Look hey, what I, I did. helped somebody. Yeah. I helped this family. Right. And and Robert Lupton talks about that in his book about what they realized was the dads mm-hmm. of the families they were helping were feeling oh, emasculated. Sh- emasculated. Yeah. And shamed. Yes. Because they couldn't provide for their kids. And for all Christmas of these presents. and all of these wealthy Christians swooping in to save mm-hmm. the day mm-hmm. was only further emasculating him and yeah putting on display how he can't provide yeah. for his family. Yeah, you're not a man because right. these other people have to buy your kids Christmas presents. And I think the thing that's dangerous about that is until you really get into a conversation like this or you read one of those books, yep. that looks like, what could be wrong? Yes. What could be wrong about giving a homeless guy $20? What could ever be wrong about bringing Christmas presents to poor kids? What could be wrong about that? Yeah, I had, it was so funny you say that because there was even a guy in our, uh, we were at a, he's volunteered with us and he's at a church that partners with Victory Mission and they, and he was said that he was at the gas station and this guy comes up to him and he's like, sir, I'm really hungry. And he kind of, kind of went off on him a little bit. He was confessing the story to me. He's like, I just told him, you know, I know you're going to do this. You know, I'm a Christian. I know you're going to go just you know, buy alcohol or whatever. And he gave him a $5 bill and he went in the gas station and bought a sandwich. And he said, so I guess I was wrong. And I, in my head, I'm thinking now, 
Maybe you weren't wrong, but because you called him out on it, he wasn't going to go do maybe what he originally intended or wanted to, but he really was like almost passive aggressively buying the sandwich after mm-hmm. you called him out. Right. So like we, we never know what's going on. But again, in that moment, when you're making those quick judgments and you're just doing things that, you know, it may not help. It may help. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But unless you do it in relationship. It's you know, not going to produce long-term lasting fruit. Yeah, fruit. fruit. Yeah, relationships. Yeah. And I, in the introduction to the book, and we work in an organization that does outreach. Yeah. I make it very clear early on that there are people called to meet Absolutely. immediate needs that are called to help people that just need to get back on their feet. Right. There, when a hurricane hits the Gulf Coast, we yeah, need to need load water. semis up with water, yeah, absolutely. right? We need to take trailers for people to live yep. in. Yep. So I'm not anti-outreach and I'm not anti-relief ministry. I, I see that there's a, there's a place for that. There's a time for that. What I've seen that doesn't work is when people continue with a relief approach when a restorative approach That's is right. needed. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah, we have, yeah. you've got to go to the next level. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Hey, I, I got you some water. Yeah. We got to know each other. Absolutely. And if I just keep giving you water... I don't really know you. Right. Yeah. Because you have skills, abilities, and talents mm-hmm. that we got to figure out how you can do this how on your access, own. How to access, right. And if you can't, then we need to find another resource. Right. To get you off the street. Yeah. Yeah. There's a place, like I said, for, and there are people called the relief ministry. Yeah. They're, you know, the Mother Teresa kind of. Absolutely. Hit the streets and minister to the orphans and the widows and the lepers. And there's a definitely a segment of the population and gifting in the church that's not me yeah in victory um, yeah and other ministries like like ours um you know we go downtown yeah. we, tr- we go into homeless camps sure. and we're praying and that's about building the relationship yeah. to where people feel safe right to put hopefully come into a structured environment right. that's the front porch yeah <laughs> and and we're not yeah. doing a lot except offering our friendship mm-hmm some prayer, maybe, maybe a hygiene kit or two, maybe some water. And an invitation. And an invitation. To yeah. more. Yeah. Right. Well, Mark, this is great. And if people wanted to, they could grab your book, Change the Poor, on Amazon. They can. Or on they, Victory Missions website. Or on Victory Missions website, victorymission.com. You can get it. But we're really just saying, if you've got a church or you've got a ministry and you want to see what we really feel like the gospel is. Mm-hmm. Um, I told somebody one time, the kingdom is amazing because no matter where you are, we can both be arm in arm. Mm. You know, That's good. like you're in the trenches and I'm not. Mm-hmm. I can come to the trenches, but we both come out together because yeah. we serve a great God. It's never about yeah. the, the least of, you know, it's never about the us and them. It's always about the we and he, mm-hmm. you know. So, so what last things would you tell somebody who's like, man, I really just. I just know somebody can be changed. What would you, what would advice would you give them to that? I would say collaborate. You know, this restorative ministry just didn't pop up out of my ideas and just from us holding up in a room. <laughs> uh, but a lot of different, you know, researching conversations, books, podcasts like this with practitioners and I, I don't claim to be an expert, but I am a practitioner. I am doing this in the trenches and we are seeing results. And so um, reach out to people, you know, reach out to us, have a conversation with me. I love to visit churches mm-hmm. and nonprofits and speak and teams are going through 
the book at different nonprofits and residential programs right. or taking their leadership teams through the book. And um, so I would say to them, um, you know, before you jump in the deep end, learn how to swim. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so really, like, do some learning That's first yeah. about how to properly or effectively and fruitfully meet the needs of people in extreme poverty and then, and then step out in faith and get ready for it to be messy. Yeah. And, you know, those statistics of long-term residential programming being a year or more being 2 to 3% completion rate. Yeah. Just know you're fighting a battle that's, yeah. that may not look like you're winning, yeah. but for every life that comes out the other side. For the 2 to 3%. Yeah, it's there was, huge. There were cycles broken. There were families reunited. Yeah. There was, yeah. And, and those kids have been forever changed. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're a believer, you believe that the good shepherd leaves the 99 yes. for the one. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. And you also believe that there is a narrow gate <laughs> that, that goes on to a hard road that leads to life. And so you just, you offer the relationship, you build the structure, you hold them accountable to what they say they want, and then you trust the results to God. Yeah. That's really good. Because the final chapter in the book is it's their program. You see a lot of ministries and leaders and churches think it's their program. It's not your program. It's their program. Yeah. <laughs> like they're the ultimate benef benefactor. Right. Yeah. Of whatever and they decide process to stay is in place. Yeah, it's their decision every day. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Brighter Stories Podcast. Did you enjoy the episode? Did you learn something new? Leave us a review and let us know what you think. We put out a new episode every first and third Friday of the month, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Victory Mission. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Henson. Thanks for being here.